Well, good morning to all of you. If you would turn your Bibles to the New Testament and the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to begin today. And there'll be some other scriptures we'll take a look at today too. And so if you would open up your Nova Community Church app and go to the sermon notes, or you can go to novachurch.org and find the sermon notes there with many of the other scriptures. He's patient, and he's so kind, and determined, and he's walking. They're they're always walking, always moving forward just one step at a time. But he's never in a hurry, but they are. He's always present in the moment, but they're always thinking about what's going to be next. Even as the religious leaders try to question him on the complex issues of marriage and divorce, he's not shaken, but he's walking, always moving forward. Mothers bring their babies to him, and he holds them, and some even fall asleep in his arms. The disciples are frustrated, though, because they want to make Jericho before sunset, and so they walk. And just as they get back on schedule, though, a young bank investor comes and asks him about eternal life. And he answers, and he turns that interaction to a lesson for all time. And they walk. But he has time for each one of those interruptions. And as they walk, he talks about dying, but no one wants to hear about it. And the nerve of James and John wanting to get a special position in the kingdom. And as they walk, they wonder really what he meant when he said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as that road that they walk on descends into that cool, green, spring-fed valley, where palms and sycamore trees grow. They pick up the pace, and maybe it's because of the downward slope of the valley, or maybe because some people hear the buzz of the crowd, and they move forward towards Jerusalem. But they'll pass through the walls of the ancient city of Jericho, and a blind beggar there, who is mostly ignored by everyone else, is sitting by the side of the road. He's wearing a hoodie to cover the indentation of where his eyes should be. The beggar startled by the noise and the yelling and the chanting of the crowd. And so he jumps to his feet and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples want to quiet him down. And so they shh. But the shouts get louder. And Jesus stops. And he goes up to the beggar and lifts the hood over his empty eyes. And he asks him a question. For the last seven weeks, we've been in a series entitled Walk This Way. And in this series, our hope is that the Spirit of God will 
teach us the truth of Jesus, but not just his truth, but to teach us to walk this way. Let me ask you a question. And, and the question's pretty simple, but let me ask you this question. How many of you are here? Here on the plaza, um, here in the drive-in, and here online. How many of you are here? And I know that many of you are actually here, maybe watching, actually watching in the present moment right now. But if you're here, even online, and even in the cars, here on the plaza, if you're here right now, would you raise your hand? Okay, good. And if you're here, would you just say out loud, verbally out loud, would you say, I'm here? Okay, good. Cars too? Yeah. And if you're here, I want to welcome you. And I'm grateful, I'm so happy that you're here with us in this moment. And I want to take the time to acknowledge and thank God that we have the freedom to be here in this moment. Both physically here and online, in this moment to worship God, reading the scriptures, and hearing from God. Now, I want to acknowledge this moment right now because some of you won't be here for long. You might be joining us physically, but mental, mentally and emotionally, you might be leaving. And you're here, but some of you might get a text message anytime now, right? And your phone's going to buzz. Hopefully it'll only buzz and no one else will know that your phone is buzzing. Or you might get a notification on your phone that your Amazon delivery has just arrived on your porch. Or the football games, the pro football game started at 10 and your fantasy team, it's probably notifying you how you're doing on your phone right now. And some of you might be thinking other things like what side dishes will we have for Thanksgiving? And other people might be thinking like I'm always thinking, what am I going to eat? next for for lunch you might be worried or anxious about something in your life and if you're here right now i'm so glad that you're here because some of you won't be here for long let me pray father thank you for this moment this moment in time right now this moment that you are with us that we're with each other and it just it really doesn't get better than that. And so we acknowledge that and recognize that. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're going to talk about learning to be present. And in your notes, there's uh, three or four points in your notes. And the first point is this. Jesus had an undivided attention in the moment. One of the striking things about Jesus is that he lived in the moment. And he had this undivided attention for what was right in front of him. He was always present in the moment. He was always fully engaged. In the scriptures, there are two back-to-back -back moments. I mean, it just goes back-to-back-to-back, -to -back -to -back, but we'll take a look at just two of these moments illustrating Jesus' heart for the people that are right in front of him. In Mark chapter 10, in verse 46, it says this, when they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. 
When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on many, me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And in verse 49, it says, Jesus stopped. Take notice of that. He stopped. They were on their way, but he stopped and said to him, said to them, call him. And so they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You see, Jesus stopped for this guy that no one had time for. Fully engaged. He was fully in the moment. The second story is found in John chapter 19, right after this, the healing of blind Bartimaeus. And in John chapter 19, verse 1, it said, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. See, he was just passing through, and he was headed somewhere, Jesus was, and the disciples, and the crowd. And in verse 2 it says, A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. So notice that Jesus has already been interrupted one time by a poor blind man, and now he's been interrupted by a rich, corrupt tax collector named Zacchaeus. And if you don't know who Zacchaeus is, let me tell you who Zacchaeus is. You see, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Who climbed up on the sycamore tree to see what he could see. Now, some of you were in that Sunday school class and drank their Kool-Aid and, and all of that, and so you understand where I'm going with it. But he was a tax collector, and in that day, he was the most corrupt of them all. A tax collector would calculate your taxes, in that day, would calculate your taxes, and then charge you more, and then keep the difference for themselves. He was the most, one of the most despised and hated tax collectors were of all the people. Verse 3 in John chapter 19. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. And then Jesus says these words, I must stay at your house today. Today I must stay at your house. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And they have a meal together, and Zacchaeus has a moment of deep repentance. And then in verse 8 he says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, that's an understatement really for him, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him in verse 9, Today, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus gives the greatest gift you can give anyone, which is your presence and your time of that person right in front of you, your undivided attention. 
You know, I want to be like that. I don't know about you, but I want to be just like that. I don't want to be here for the big moments or the powerful moments or the Sunday moments or the important moments. I want to be here for all the moments and even the annoying and frustrating moments in my life. I want to be right there, right in the presence of those. And I wonder if any of you are living through right now an annoying or frustrating moment right now. Now, don't look at that moment, that annoying or frustrating, or point to them, but maybe some of you are dealing with that right now. I don't know about you, but I'm a parent of adult children. And I know that there are parents of adult children that are here right now. And if you're a parent of an adult child, you remember those annoying and those frustrating, those hectic moments when the kids were young. And you know what they are. It's that time that you're walking in the dark, barefoot, and you step on a Lego that hasn't been picked up, right? Or it's the times that the sickness was going through the household, the stomach flu of all things. And you think, oh man, those were frustrating moments. Or you, you think about the messy rooms and just the mess. Once the house gets clean, it just gets messy all over again. But now that the kids are adults and mine have, have moved on, I miss some of those times. And I want to ask you, are you complaining today for a moment that you're going to miss tomorrow? Are you complaining today of a moment that you're going to miss tomorrow? Number two in your notes is this. Don't miss what you have now pursuing what you want later. Don't miss. Number two is don't miss what you have now pursuing what you want later. Let me ask you a question. Are you still here? Yeah? Good. Thanks for the hands that, that, I, that I see. The statistical odds tell us that you are physically present, but not present in other ways. Harvard University did a study, and they said this. 47% of the time, your mind is not in the same place where your feet are. 47% of the time. The average cell phone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. That's a lot of times to not be in the moment. And some of you cell phone users are overachievers. The top 10 cell phone users touch their phones 5,400 times a day. Now, if there are 1,440 waking minutes of the day, or if there are 1,440 minutes of, in a day, 960 minutes are waking minutes. And that means you're touching your cell phone in your waking minutes 2.72 times a minute. That's amazing to me to think about that. It's thousands of times a day. You're missing whomever or whatever is right in front of you. And then we play these mind games that really mess us up to being in that moment. Like we, we play the mind game of when I get this, then I'll be happy or then I'll be good. And so it's, you can just fill in the blanks. When I get this or when I achieve this, then I'll be happy to get that. Or 
It's that what if game. And it, it causes anxiety and worry that what if this happens or what if that happens? And if this or that happens, then I'm really going to be upset what happens next. I remember uh, when our firstborn was in the fourth grade and uh, just going to school and having a good time. He wasn't the best student. He wasn't the best athlete. He wasn't the best artist, but it was just it was fun having young kids. And I remember being um, at that school during the lunchtime where I volunteered as a noon aide once a, once a week. And I'm just out there playing with the kids. They're playing basketball. They're on the playground. They're running around kicking the soccer ball. I'm just out there making sure no one, you know, hurts themselves or hurts another person and just having a good time. And then one of the moms comes up to me and says, hey, um, Next week is fourth grade math testing. And I'm thinking, man, I'm, we just got done with missions, right? I mean, I was just like uh, kind of done with all that and really feeling good that we had a good missions project in the books and, and all of that. And, and I'm thinking, math testing, what does that mean? And she tells me this. She says, they're going to test the fourth graders next week for math. And then what they're going to do with that testing, it's not for a grade. They're going to determine what kind of math you're child your son's going to be in in the fifth grade and i was like ah, all right and she says yeah but it's more important than that because when they test your fourth grader in math they're going to determine what class what math class what level they're going to be at and you want them to do really well on that test because it'll determine what they're going to what class they're going to be in the fifth grade for math and i'm thinking all right and and she says but with that class, if they make that class, that means when they graduate and they go to middle school, then they're going to be able to be in that class, right? And I'm like, okay. And he says, but if you get that class in the sixth grade, then you could take this class in the seventh grade. And I'm thinking, okay, I see where this is going. Because in the eighth grade, they don't have to take math in middle school. They'll get to take math in high school, a special math class. And then if they do well in that math class, their sophomore year, they're going to be able to take an AP or honors math class. And then their junior year, they're going to do this. And then their senior year, they're going to do this. And maybe even their senior year, they can go to college. They can go to El Camino and take that math class. And if, that, if they do well next week, they're going to have three credits in, in college above everyone else. And I, my kid's in fourth grade. He's drooling and trying to, you know. Matthew chapter 6, here's what Jesus says. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They don't labor. They're not upset. I'll tell you that those flowers, they're not even dressed like the splendor of Solomon. And that's how God clothes even flowers and the grass in the field. They don't labor to get their beauty so don't worry saying what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear because those who are unbelievers they run after these things and your heavenly father knows what you need but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
You see, Jesus wasn't anti-planning. He was anti-worry. He didn't want us to be anxious about anything. Number three in your notes is this, as we learn about being present, is often we're not fully present because we lack faith. That's what the Bible says. Why do you think we're not often fully present? Because we don't trust God. The only way we, the only way we can be present in the moment is to surrender the past, and we can't change that, and trust in God for the future, which we can't control. James says it this way in James chapter 4. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make a bunch of money. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? It's like a mist. It appears for a little while and then vanishes. I don't know if you saw this up here, but this is commonly known as an hourglass here. And this hourglass is an illustration, a word picture, a metaphor, all to say of our life. This is your life. And that it's the life that God has given you on this earth, and it's passing away in the moment as the sand goes from the top to the bottom. And there's three things that we can learn from an illustration like this. And the first is this. No one knows how much sand is on the very top. Many think that there's more sand than what's actually there. The second lesson is this. No matter what you do, you can't stop the sand from flowing. Time is passing. Time is passing. Time is passing, and each day is a gift. And the third thing that we can learn from an illustration like this about our life is that once the sand is on the bottom, you can't get it back. In life, you just can't turn that thing over again and start over again. And this is why, at the beginning of this message, I wanted to celebrate the moment I wanted all of us to recognize that we have this moment together. And at the moment, we were together in the presence of God, just like this moment right now. The fourth, the last point we can make here today as we learn about being present is the most important moment of your life is experiencing God with God's people. Psalm 118 says this, This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, when I'm on vacation, I look forward to that vacation so much. And I'm one of those guys that will plan a vacation, or I should say, I'll plan the vacation. And I'm researching and, and um, reading books and looking online to figure out what that vacation is going to be like. I'm thinking of what we'll do when we get there. I'm thinking about what day we'll do what we'll do when we get there. I'm thinking about, oh, the places we'll eat. And I'm thinking, already, I already know when we get to the place where we're going to eat on that day, in that hour, for that meal, I know what I'm going to order. I already know. I've looked at the menu. I've looked at the pictures. I've read the reviews. 
I already know what I'm going to do. And when I get there on vacation, on that day, at that place, with that menu that I don't need to look at, it's not as much fun sometimes as the planning of that. I'll be honest with you. And I miss those moments. You know, when I do a wedding these days, um, I've been doing this, um, it's kind of fun. You know, when you do a wedding, it's sort of like this. And there's the, the guests, the loved ones that are out there, and they're facing forward, and I'm facing the guests. And so we're face to face. But the most important couple in a wedding, they have their back turned towards all of their loved ones that they invited. And so they stand right in front of me and I'll say some opening words and and say an opening prayer. But what I love to do is I love to ask them to turn around. And I say, please turn around and face your guests. And it's right in the beginning, not at the very end when I introduce them, but right in the beginning. And I'll have them turn around and they'll get to see all of these smiling people that are so happy to be there and how much they love this couple. And they're taking pictures and waving at them and big smiles. And the couple stands there looking at them. And I want them to remember this moment. And so I'll lean over and I'll whisper in their ears, take a mental picture. Don't forget this moment, because this will soon pass. And then they turn around, we do the wedding, and it's all good. But that's so important in a wedding. Don't miss what you have now by pursuing what you want later. To to be together right now in this holy moment is just the best, just the best right at this moment. And what I often recognize, what what I've recognized is often the most powerful and the most meaningful moments are the small moments. And when you look at the way Jesus lived, not just the truth of what Jesus taught, As Jesus walked along, people weren't interruptions. They weren't inconveniences. To Jesus, these were the moments to engage with priority one. People made in the image of God. Because this moment matters. Are you still here? Yeah? I want you to know, for me, this is difficult and hard. If you struggle with distraction like, like me, I'm with you. I'm just the best at struggling with this, and I'm just the worst sometimes. I struggle with being focused on what's right in front of me, but I'm working on it. When you think about Jesus, if there was any time that he would have been distracted, it would be when he was dying on the cross. He would have been consumed with himself on the cross. But he is the sinless son of God. People stripped him naked. They beat him and whipped him bloody. He carried his own cross and they nailed him to it. And right next to him was this criminal that he talked to. And you can imagine, the, the Bible doesn't record that conversation, but I can imagine what that criminal said to Jesus as they were hanging on their crosses. That criminal maybe said, you know, I've done a lot of bad things and I really feel bad about my sin and I'm sorry for what I've done. And in Luke chapter 23, 
it records that the criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, you can't ask Jesus for forgiveness where you're not. And you can't experience God's grace where you're not. And you can't love God where you're not, and you can't serve people where you're not. Don't miss out on the life that God has given you in this moment. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And in this present moment, Jesus bids us to walk this way. Let's pray together.